I was a head of the internal product team, essentially a tech side of the operations. And she was a head of scaling operations for a while. And we oversaw a lot of growth and a lot of scaling operations at Monzo. When it was time for both of us to leave and we separately arrived to the desire to fund the company and we started talking and it was natural for us to go into the operation space where we thought, well, we scaled ops and customer support for Monzo and it was an award-winning customer support, like company very well known for this. So we know everything. We didn't know everything. My name is Irina Bednova and I'm the CTO and co-founder of Cordless. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Arena Bednova set out to use her customer service knowledge and build a better product around telephony. All this and more on Code Story. Arena Bednova started programming when she was a kid, starting out with the Smash the Cockroach game written in Delphi, which is object-oriented Pascal. She obtained her computer science degree in Russia and moved to the UK to work in a few startups, including Monzo, a popular fintech product. Outside of tech, she cycles her hobbies from time to time and has landed on guarding at the moment, along with interior design. She's mentioned she's going to go back to woodworking when the weather changes. Irina and her co-founder led teams at Monzo, specifically in operations. What they noticed was the proliferation of chat tools for customer service, but that telephony was largely ignored. Once they validated the problem, they set out to build a product in this space. This is the creation story of Cordless. Cordless is a cloud-based telephony platform for customer support teams and their customers. What it actually is, is an application, it's a web app and soon to be a desktop app where agents, customer support agents, log in to take calls from their customers, make calls, and their managers can orchestrate the entire process with the heavy emphasis on the managers being able to orchestrate the process. Because in customer support, there is a lot of problems and tasks you need to do to provide the most delightful, most efficient support for the, for the least amount of money. These are kind of two main objectives for any customer support manager. So Cordless provides not only the metrics and the tools you would expect to the customer support manager, like what time of the day do you have more calls than than other times? What time of the week? How many agents do you have? What are the agents doing? Do you need to shuffle anyone around? But also stuff that um, is pretty unique to us, which is the full conversation analytics. We transcribe everything by default. And we provide the managers also with the insight, not only when the customers are calling, but also what they're calling about. In the last kind of five to 10 years, uh, there has been a huge drive to chat, chatbots. There has been a lot of a lot of innovation in customer support and particularly in chats. Voice, whilst remaining one of the most important channels for customer support, uh, has been a little bit neglected. So what we're doing, we're bringing this innovation to voice. I should start with how I met my co-founder, Luba. Uh, We both were early employees at Monzo, and we did a lot of different stuff for them. Her background is, so my background is technical, her background is is not technical, kind of management consultant. 
one thing that we overlapped at was uh, operations. So I was a head of the internal product team, which is essentially a tech side of the operations. And uh, she was a head of scaling operations for a while. And we oversaw a lot of growth and a lot of scaling operations at Monzo. When it was time for both of us to leave and we separately arrived to the desire to fund the company and we started talking and it was natural for us to go into the operation space where we thought, well, we scaled ops and customer support for Monzo and it was an award-winning customer support, like company very well known for this, for their like delightful experience in customer support. So we know everything. We did know everything. We started talking to other customer support leaders, heads of CS, CEOs, CS manager. By now, Cordless is a year and a half old as officially a company. I think closing to two years since we like first started working together. And in this time, we talked to over 300 companies, over 300 heads of customer support. We interviewed a lot of people and we validated what we thought was the problem and the problem was kind of neglected voice space it all started with like in the most kind of mvp classic startup agile way uh, the first version of the product did not have any ui it was just a set of uh, python scripts before we had any employees so it was just me a set of python scripts uh, to kind of help companies improve the process of their voice voice support, run it a little bit better. Um, and on this, we, we validated our, our assumptions about what the product is. Tell me about the MVP and, and not the, not the, the Python scripts, but I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because that origination story is, is fascinating. Tell me about the MVP when you pivoted to the full telephony platform. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Well, I, I decided to go with serverless uh, straight away. Use a Google Cloud Platform and the whole kind of Google Cloud Platform ecosystem. Uh, originally, that started with a tweet uh, a few years ago when I asked what is the good serverless solution and people kept recommending Cloud Run. And I was skeptical at first because I tried AWS Lambda and at the time it was kind of more, I, I don't think that was very mature as a product. When I did try Cloud Run, I was very impressed with it. So we uh, went with the services written in Go, deployed on Google Cloud Run and like using the rest of the GCP stack as, um, as like database and, and the queue and, and so on. Ops was always my weakest point. I kind of, throughout my entire career, I managed to avoid uh, doing anything serious with, uh, with DevOps or learning the DevOps properly. So I wanted to optimize for basically as little ops as possible. And this was one of the reasons why one we chose Cloud Run. And Golang, uh, I worked with Go at Monzo. So Monzo, all entire banking platform of Monzo is written in Go. And I had a very good experience. So this is why I, I've chosen Go. And the MVP, we started, I think, in August 21, and we started onboarding first customers on the uh, MVP in April this year. So we, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, our product, it's a B2B product where we go after companies of a certain size. It's not a big size, but it's more than kind of one customer support agent. 
they need a certain number of features just to be able to switch to whatever the tool they're using now to us. So we had to build a little bit up front. So when you're building an MVP, you've got to make certain trade-offs around accepting technical debt or cutting features, you know, or deciding on technology. And you talked about some of those um, about the technology, which makes a ton of sense. But tell me a little more about, you know, some of those decisions and trade-offs that you had to make and how you coped with those decisions. So we took all of the tech debt, especially in the early days, in favor of shipping features fast. Because the most important thing for the startup at our stage is getting feedback and learning. Because the sooner you can get to getting feedback from your customers, the better. Like we optimized for being able to put something out to get someone using it. So we very intentionally neglected developer experience, neglected reliability, to a large extent neglected observability to like the point where it was when it became very, very uncomfortable for the team. We did this intentionally and we did this understanding the the trade-offs. So how did we cope with these decisions when we were in a quote-unquote crunch mode, shipping features super quickly without writing tests, without thinking about like just writing tickets about the tech debt and the reliability, but not actually addressing them. We didn't have an on-call rotation, for example, because it's just unfair to ask engineers to go on call when you don't give engineers tools to minimize the number of times they will be they will be paged and on call. So when the time came when we started onboarding real customers, what was crucial for for us to is to communicate for me to communicate with the team and with the non-technical part of the team of what what's going to happen so that now we need to slow down the feature development pace now that we need to change the way we work a little bit so that we can focus on reliability on observability on monitoring on understanding customer behavior and also giving engineers tools to kind of make their lives easier so from that point then, how did you progress the product? How are you progressing the product and maturing it? And to wrap that question in a box, what I'm looking for is how did you build your roadmap? And how did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? For us, it's customers, customers, customers. We continue talking to customers. Like, like I said, we talked to over 300 companies since we started. This is all a continuous process. So we try to get the product on every stage of development on like show the designs to some friendly companies to see like how do they envision this feature working and then the most most importantly is to get the working product for someone to use so we take feedback a lot of the short term prioritization comes from there for the product like ours for for a b2b saas there is essentially two types of features one is features that everyone have, features that our customers expect to be there. They're nothing exciting. So for telephony, it's the ability to take an incoming call, make an outbound call, make a trans like trans transfer the call. And the second type of feature is things that are unique to us. That is our unique proposition of why someone might switch from maybe a more established product, a product with more things to offer and more mature product to us because we solve unique problems uh, in a unique way that no one else no one else does. 
So in developing and maturing our product, the most important thing for us is to keep the balance between the two. So short-term prioritization on kind of expected features we do based on based on customer feedback and things that are more vision that are more unique we uh, make sure to spend to spend if not equal but short-term but at least equal long-term time on these features. To give you a super super concrete example, we built like all the basic telephony features. We thought like we're set, we're good to go, and basically the first customer we on board we onboarded needed to have multiple phone numbers, which we knew that we will. It was on our roadmap already because we did the, did the market research, we did the customer research. We saw it was one of those like boring features everyone has. This was not on our short-term roadmap, uh, and we had to prioritize based on based on feedback. And in terms of how we mature maturing the product. Like like I said, we took a lot of tech debt and when we develop new features, when we don't know yet what they will look like or whether they will stay at all or what will happen to them, we take a lot of tech debt and then as we go and mature and as we know which features stay and which won't, we endeavor to resolve that tech debt, to pay back that tech, tech debt, not only just like in kind of cleanness of code and the periodic refactoring of things when when we know better, but also things like end-to-end tests and developer experience and more sane and well, well-oiled uh, development pipeline. So let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? The, the main thing we were looking um, at when hiring people is the autonomy, or at least one of the main things is the ability of being and working autonomously. When we published the job job opening, there was like a word senior in there that we only hire senior engineers. And to me, especially at our stage, this is what it means a senior engineer, and I know there is a lot of ways to define uh, different seniority levels, and they can mean a lot of different things in different companies, but for us right now, it means the ability to work independently, the ability to kind of go and proactively find what you need to be doing, and if, if something is not clear, if the feature spec or roadmap is not super clear, then the ability to go and proactively try to identify and then clarify it. This is what hiring only seniors means means for us right now. How do we work with the team? I think this is like one of the most exciting things for me in in being a founder because you get to build the team in accordance to your values and you get to implement the good things that you've seen in other places. And Monza was amazing for the engineering culture and I took a lot of things from Monza that I wanted to see in the next place I'm working at. So what we are doing with our team, uh, we communicate often and more often. <laughs> if you think, if you think you're communicating enough with the team, especially with all remote team, then it's probably not true, and you probably should do it more. And I remind myself um, about this daily. Uh, and we are being very transparent about where we are as a company, as a business. So. For us, it's very important that everyone on the team understands why are we doing what we're doing right now. So we communicate everything from what the roadmap is, what the next feature is, who are our customers, like how much money we have in the bank, what our, our investors are expecting from us, what is the next milestone we need to reach. 
and that helps frame the work that everyone is doing and I think that will become especially important for us as we grow to keep this kind of channel open to keep putting in perspective of what what you're doing because a lot of good engineers might be might have burned in the past on having a lot of technical debt or uh, kind of doing things in temporary way that in the end ends up being the most permanent the most permanent solution in the whole like code base but if you frame it of why are we taking this tech that now and why we are doing what we're doing now, then it becomes more clear and also I think build, builds trust both ways. So if your team trusts you to be open and transparent and explain what, what's going on and why we're doing what we're doing, then you can trust your team to do their jobs expertly. Well, let's flip to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow in any capacity? So I think the scalability problem is still ahead of us. Due to the nature of our our product, I'm hesitant to say this because I feel like as soon as I kind of say this, I'm going to jinx it. But I think due to due to the nature of our product, we will not necessarily run into the same scalability problems as, let's say, B2C products. So I'm thinking about Monzo and I'm thinking about millions and millions of card transactions or thousands of card transactions that happen every second and how do you fit it into a, into a data store and what data structures you need to use to cope with this. So for us, it is calls, and most importantly, it is because we're B2B, everything is partitioned by the individual accounts. So our scalability problem is as big as our biggest customer, essentially. So it remains to be seen how we're going to cope with this. But we, I, am, I am hopeful because we have built everything cloud first. Um, we have built everything on kind of managed serverless infrastructure, which hopefully will continue serving us and continue allow us to throw money at the problem when we when we grow. That's an interesting scalability problem. If you're partitioning per customer, then your scaling problems are only as big as your biggest customer. That's a new one for for the show. That's a new not explanation, but a new challenge to or a new way to a- approach it i'm going to be super interested in how you solve that in the future it's right sizing uh, per customer which is almost like each customer is its own sort of microservice each customer has the potential to be right sized and could even you know change the the scale at which that system works for that customer i think to understand that you need to think about the data first and foremost it's not about the process like let, let me give you a, a, an example to kind of frame this. So if you have in, in Google, you have documents all over the world that you need to optimize for uh, returning quickly based on the search query. Only if every single person in the world had their own personal kind of database of documents, you, can, you need to only optimize of returning quickly within that data set. In our situation, in our product, when we deal with calls and call transcripts, we have millions of calls and millions of transcripts historically stored in our database. But because every company that uses us can only access and is only interested in accessing their own calls and their own uh, transcripts, 
For us, the problem is to the most efficiently work with their data set. So even if our company is has a lot of customers and has terabytes and terabytes of data stored, the, the way we need to write the code should be only as efficient as the biggest customer needs it to be. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I think the team. I feel privileged to work with people I'm working with. Incredibly lucky to have the co-founder I have. Luba and I have kind of very complementary skills and things that unnerve us, which is incredibly useful in the co-founder relationship. When I am frazzled, she's, she's calm and vice versa. I feel very privileged to work with the engineers I'm, I'm working with. Every time I feel like they, ha- they feel the same about their colleagues, not necessarily about me, but about their colleagues, that kind of makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. I think building efficient team where everyone can be fulfilled when everyone is working on something interesting and the culture is high-performing yet respectful and empathetic, this is what I always was striving for and I hope as we grow we'll continue to preserve it. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. What I try to do is I try to set set expectations on basically an early stage founder does a lot of different jobs and all of them quite poorly. So I try to kind of communicate that this is this is the case. But especially uh, with the with the roadmap and with the work we're doing, sometimes something that we decide to do, sometimes that the kind of challenges that I put uh, before the team, they end up being a work that we throw away. So there was an example um, a few months ago when we, when we built something, uh, built something at haste as well, because we were chasing after, after a customer, I think. And in the end, we decided that this, this piece of work is not contributing to, to our product success. So we threw it away. And I know it's always like a little bit disheartening and annoying to have something that you worked for being thrown away. Uh, but again, the team took it took it very well. The team, I just think it's a testament to maturity of like people on the team that yeah, sure, these things happen. We did the retrospective thinking of how we can potentially avoid these things in the future. And whilst we do everything in our power to avoid these things in the future, sometimes they happen and that's okay. Well, what does the future look like for Cordless, the product, and for your team? Grow the product, grow the company, grow the revenue, (laughs) grow the customer base. I think the customer base is the main one. Our goals is to build something we're proud of. We already know that our product solves a real real problem for real people in business, but still, and hopefully become a go-to solution for uh, customers for telephony. So, Irina, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? You name a person you look up to and why. I think one is kind of closer to home, more relevant. So uh, Jonas, the CTO of uh, Monzo, I think still the CTO of Monzo. 
he influenced me a great deal, especially when we were working together at Monzo, because he kind of showed me a lot of things that are involved in running a company, but also running like an individual team and what is needed in a team leadership and what it, what is required. And I think he blown my mind by leading by example on like how to think as a as a CEO of like what is what's what is it like to work in a company when everyone thinks as a CEO so not like if something needs needs do and you just go and do it and you figure out how to do it and you figure out from the first principles and often especially in the fast growing company there isn't always someone who knows better and you just need to go and figure it out and i think that experience helped me so much since I became a founder because it's basically the entire time you just go and figure it out and there's no one who knows better. So that's one one person that uh, influenced how I work. But there's another person that has nothing to do with tech but I hugely, hugely admire. It is an inter- interior designer, uh, Abigail Ahern. She has an interior decoration shop and uh, the reason why uh, I name her is she has her own very unique style that I haven't seen anything like this before. And she has a successful business built on that unique style. So not only she has the vision, but also she has the means and the tenacity to promote this vision and do everything that needs to be done every day to bring this vision. And to me, this is a great example of something that made my life as a customer better and also is commercially successful. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach? I would start hiring sooner. We did spend quite a lot of time figuring out the direction of the product and we were shy to hire even though we, we did raise money because uh, we weren't sure like, okay, we will hire people. What, what are they going to do? What are they going to actually work on? With the benefit of hindsight, uh, I would hire faster and maybe iterate quicker, go for something a little bit more ambitious from the, from the start. All the whole story I told you about how we started and how we developed the product, there has been a lot of uh, moments that felt where we spent a little bit too long hesitating of which direction to choose and what step to take next. So now, again, with the benefit of hindsight, if I had to do it all over again, I would be able to speed run it uh, up to this point. And I'm sure I will say the same in a year's time and in a year's time. Well, last question, Arena. So, so you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Talk to your customers talk, and, and then talk to your customers more and continue talking to your customers and then talk to your customers. If there's one thing that I could say, one advice I could give anyone starting a business any business is to talk to your customers. Everyone gives the same advice and sounds very obvious, but it's really like you really, really can't overdo it. The second thing is don't build a website if you build a B2B product. You don't need a website. (laughs) It's fantastic advice. Well, Arena, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Cordless. Thank you. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. 
Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.